Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, your weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt, and this is episode number 436. I went on my first Royal Caribbean cruise on the Mexican Riviera, and I wanted to share this week what it's like to go on a West Coast cruise. Here we go. So after many years, I finally got a chance to do something completely new and different, and that is go on a Mexican Riviera cruise. I went on Royal Caribbean's Navigator of the Seas on a seven-night Mexican Riviera cruise, and ever since Royal Caribbean announced cruises from the West Coast, I was pretty excited to try it out myself. Now, Royal Caribbean hasn't been offering cruises from the West Coast for over 11 years, but in November of 2021, they finally restarted cruises from the West Coast, offering cruises from Los Angeles. Now, most of these sailings actually depart from LA and just do three and four night cruises to Ensenada and Catalina Island. So these are very short cruises, and they're you know going very close back to LA, so they don't go very far. But I was like, well, I'm going to go all the way to Los Angeles and fly across the country. I want to make sure that I get a chance to really do the true Mexican Riviera because to really do the Mexican Riviera, you're going down the Baja Peninsula and checking out the areas in Western Mexico. And right now, Royal Caribbean is only doing these longer seven-night sailings over holidays or really popular times. And for us, this was worked out quite well because our kids were off of school for Christmas break. And I thought to myself, well, this would be really good. And I was like, well, I got to convince my wife to book this cruise. And I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna have to tell her. And, you know, I was like, well, let's do this cruise over Christmas. And she was like, okay, we'll do it. And then I think later on, I didn't realize at the time she put two and two together that it'd be over my birthday and it's a milestone birthday. So basically I could have picked almost anything to go on and I probably would have gotten it. So anyway, this worked out pretty darn well. Now, being that I live in Orlando and the cruise goes out of Los Angeles, I took my own advice and we flew out a couple of days before. Actually, we decided to combine our trip over to L.A. with a couple of days at Disneyland. So we flew out, I think, three or four days before the cruise. We actually booked our airfare through Air to Sea. Now, Air to Sea is Royal Caribbean's airfare booking program that they offer. Basically, you can bundle your airfare with your cruise. And part of the reason I chose Air to Sea was because I wanted to take advantage of one of the best things they have, which is that if you book your air to sea, you actually don't make payment on your airfare until final payment date of your cruise. So if you book a cruise two years in advance and you book your airfare, I don't know, a year in advance, you actually don't have to pay for the airfare at the time. You pay for your airfare at final payment date, which is really helpful. So I like that. Number two, if Royal Caribbean were to cancel the cruise, not not you cancel, but Royal Caribbean cancel it, you could actually get refunded for your airfare, which again was fantastic. So for the flexibility and the fact that it's a you know further away and there's a flight involved and everything with COVID, who knows, I decided it would make a lot of sense to go with air to sea. When you book your air to sea, you can either your travel agent can do it or you can go to the air to sea website. The air to sea website's been a little wonky lately. When I booked it, it was fine. It just this website looks like it's from like 10, 11 years ago, but it worked. I was able to get the flights I wanted. And, you know, it was fine. But your travel agent can do this for you if you run into problems with booking it. But once you book it, then you're all set. You'll get your booking numbers for the airline. And then you can put that right into your favorite app, you know, for your different airline. And it was super simple. So good news all on that front. So we flew out. Uh, we actually took a very early morning flight, got to Los Angeles. No problem at all. We stayed in Los Angeles and Anaheim because, again, we were doing spending time in Disneyland. If you were actually going to be going right to the cruise or spending some time before the cruise, perhaps you'd be spending some time in perhaps Long Beach or closer to Los Angeles airport. The airport, the distance from the airport to the cruise terminal, which uh, is at the port of Los Angeles, is about 40 minutes without any traffic. And 
that's of course without any traffic. We got lucky actually, maybe because it was around the holidays that we didn't have any traffic issues, but something to keep in mind as well. On our cruise day, we did of course the check-in beforehand via the Royal Caribbean app, got our time, and we arrived at the terminal and then realized that the fact that we had a check-in time was utterly useless. At Los Angeles, when we went there, they were not adhering to the check-in times, which was very frustrating for two reasons. Number one, I was following the rules with the times there, which means I could have shown up a lot earlier than that. And number two, it was a bit of a zoo over there in terms of a lot of other people arriving at the exact same time, and there were long lines. On top of all of that, the porters didn't have luggage tags that they could apply to the baggage on the spot. Uh, you had to go to this other tent to get luggage tags, and there was a huge line for that. And then you had to go back and find a porter again. It seems like the porters in L.A. need to like spend some time talking to the porters in Port Everglades or Port Miami or Port Canaveral because they got it down to a science in Florida. But over here in L.A., these guys, the porters just seem like they, I, I don't know, I, I'm certain they've, they've you know, service other cruise ships over there, but they just seem to be like behind the eight ball with this. Anyway, it took longer than it should have. And I was really frustrated by the fact that the check-in times were not being enforced. I talked to somebody at the terminal. The terminal is being manned, not by Royal Caribbean, but by a third party company. And I kindly asked one of the person, like, you know, why aren't you guys enforcing the times? And I got her quite frankly, a really lame answer. And uh, so I guess if you're going out of LA, at least going forward, I would not listen to your, your check-in times. I hate to say it that way because you should be paying attention to the rules and doing what you're supposed to do. But in my experience, it was I was penalized for coming in on time because everyone else should show up whenever they wanted to, which was frustrating. I can't say this is always the case. Maybe they'll change that, but just my experience. Anyway, once we got on board the ship, it was like, oh, let me back up. I forgot about something, which is that this is our first cruise with our kids being fully vaccinated. So on this particular sailing, they already had their two vaccine shots and it had been more than two weeks. So we were excited to see the differences. Number one, we did not have to do a test at the terminal because they're vaccinated. So that was nice. Although, again, at the terminal, they made us go in all these lame lines for no reason. First, we had to go in one line to go to the testing area to prove our kids don't need a test. They got a special sticker. It's like, okay, whatever, fine. I understand that. But then when we got into the check-in area, we still had to go into the regular check-in line with all the unvaccinated kids. And I was like, but my kids are vaccinated. They already have their sticker. Like, we have proof. We're, we're good. We don't have to wait in this line. And the staff was insistent. No, you must wait in this line, which was just frustrating. So, again, in the grand scheme of things, this was an extra, like, well, the luggage tag took a really long time. We probably wasted half an hour in that luggage tag line. The actual wasting time for my kids to go in these other lines may have been an extra 10 minutes. But, you know, it's the principle of things more than anything. Anyway. Once we got on Navigator of the Seas, love being back on Navigator. I've been on Navigator a couple times since her amplification in 2019. It's a fabulous ship. For this particular sailing, we had two of the Ocean View connecting balcony rooms. What was interesting about this is we actually had two different stateroom attendants. I couldn't believe it, actually, that we had two different stateroom attendants for the rooms, for connecting rooms. Usually, if it's a connecting room, in my experience anyway, it's always been that you've had the same stateroom attendant there. Not a big deal. It's just kind of a more of a... Can't believe that actually happened, but it was that case, and it was fine. Connecting balcony rooms, pretty straightforward. You know, uh, you know, it's actually one of my favorite tips for families that are going on a cruise. Rather than put everybody in the same room and pay more money for a suite, it actually works out better, in my opinion, to have two connecting rooms, and it's just you get an extra bathroom separation. It was well worth it. I I, I really loved our choice, even though part of me was like, ah, you know, we maybe we should have moved it up to a suite, but we decided, you know, what, it was totally fine. Now, I got to talk about, of course, the protocols on board the ship. On this particular sailing, this was one of the first sailings with the new mask rules. Not new mask rules, the stricter 
mask rules that Realcrypt implemented back in mid to late December. As you may know already, Realcrypt changed its mask rules as it relates to where and when you have to wear your mask due to the Omicron variant of COVID-19. And they announced that I think the sailing before hours and, you know, it's kind of like many people were kind of wondering what should we expect? What is it like if you're going on a cruise and with these new protocols? Because essentially what it means is you had to wear your mask indoors in all scenarios, even if you are in a fully vaccinated zone. And the only exception is you could take your mask off if you were actively eating or drinking and seated there. So the question was, well, how much different is it? And quite frankly, I told my, you know, going into it, I didn't know what to expect. So I told my wife, I said, listen, worst case scenario, we'll spend more time up on the pool deck and just kind of relax up there. Um, you know, it really is truly a burden, but I really wasn't sure what to expect on there. The, the reality is it's far less burdensome, I think, than a lot of people imagine it might be. It certainly sounds like it might be a big change, but it really wasn't in a sense. And what I mean by that is basically before this change, you could stroll into a vaccinated area and just take off your mask and just hang out there. In fact, I think before this change, in a lot of cases, we would just go to the pub or the schooner bar or the casino and just kind of hang out there because I could just take my mask off and then figure out what to do. It's really good if you're just kind of like idling and not sure what you want to do. But if you're sitting there and you have a drink, if you go to the bar and you grab a drink or you're eating something, no problem at all. No one has any issue with your taking your mask off. And I thought the staff did a really good job of balancing kind of, you know, enforcing the rules, reminding guests, hey, please put your mask on or pull your mask up over your nose versus, you know, just being overly burdensome, like, you know, constantly like, you know, checking in like roving bands of crew members who are looking for mask offenders, if you will. It's it's hard to do that. And, and obviously before Omicron, I definitely got the sense that the emphasis had be de-emphasized the importance or the vigilance of the crew of double checking all these things, but certainly being back on navigator after the, the rule change. And I think a lot of people were very, quite frankly, cognizant of what's happening with Omicron and the increased caseload that a lot of people were wearing their masks. In fact, I remember the first couple of days of the cruise. I mean, I think I saw like one, maybe two people that had not that like were walking around without a mask on, which is really good considering that when we went on harmony this season over Thanksgiving, there were a lot of people who were flagrantly walking around without their mask on when they're supposed to. Uh, so it seemed like the adherence to the policy was better. Now, granted, could this be a California versus Florida thing? That's anybody's guess there. But talking with some other folks on the Realcom blog message boards, it seemed like there was a much better or uh, a better approach for guests in terms of adhering to the rules. And again, in practice, it just didn't seem like it was that big of a deal in the sense that there wasn't much of a variation. You know, if I was going to the schooner bar or to the pub, you know, I would be wearing my mask and until I sat down, order my drink. When my drink came, I could take my mask off. And no one was like, you know, you have to put your mask on between sips or anything like that. That was definitely not the case. The casino was another change because the casino, they banned smoking uh, as a result of Omicron so that people would wear their masks more often. There, I would actually take my mask off, take a sip of my drink while I'm, you know, at a table or a slot machine and then pull my mask back up. Um, you know, for part of it, I think was, I felt a little bit of an obligation to, you know, adhere to the rules. Number two, I think like a lot of people, I was also trying to say, well, let's, you know, not take any unnecessary risks and wear my mask while I was there. So, you know, all in all, it felt more like it did before than not. Uh, again, the biggest difference is you just couldn't simply idle, if you will, in, in these lounges without your mask on. But again, the crew weren't too over the top with it. 
you know, if you were in these venues, but they certainly were enforcing the rules. And I definitely observed more people wearing their masks in many situations, which is nice. It's always nice. A big thing for me is just whatever the rule is, enforce the rule. Like that is a big thing for me, regardless whether we're talking about the dining room dress code or mask rules or anything. Like if you're going to have a rule, fine, but let's make sure that they're enforced and they're followed. And I, I felt like they did a pretty good job with with doing that and uh it really wasn't a burden or anything like that. i still enjoyed the cruise quite quite frankly quite a lot did i spend a little more time outside yeah i think i did i think we spent a little more time on the pool deck and there were definitely a couple times where i saw my wife i was like let's just go upstairs to the pool deck you know and and, and kind of just you know just so we can take our masks off and kind of you know figure out what we're going to do next rather than maybe sit around in the royal promenade or whatnot another big change on this ship was the adventure ocean program and I understand with the Omicron stuff that it's a little different now, but you know, it was a little frustrating because when we got on board Navigator and Adventure Ocean, they told us that we'd only be able to have one reservation the entire cruise. And they didn't say one reservation for the entire cruise, and then after like day three, you can add more. No, one reservation for a seven-night cruise, which is absolutely nothing. So essentially the capacity of Adventure Ocean is extremely limited. Now, Royal Caribbean since has sent out emails to some folks who are going on cruises in the next couple of weeks to let them know, hey, by the way, we're scaling back Adventure Ocean in, in those regards. But, you know, I I got wind of this change before the cruise, but a lot of other people did not. In practice, if you've been on cruises before, if, you, if you've gone to a lot of Adventure Oceans before, there's always an advantage. I'll share it with you guys here. But, you know, if you go there and you ask for more sessions, if you show up in the first couple of days, a lot of people are unaware that you can get more sessions. You can simply show up and call for more sessions. It's kind of an advantage. for So we actually got our kids in. We got one that we reserved ahead of time. And then I would say about four more that we got in through luck, calling, asking, whatnot. And the last two days of the cruise, we were not able to get our kids into Adventure Ocean. But you should know anyone going on a cruise in general, it's not just Navigator, this is across the fleet, that there is limited Adventure Ocean availability currently. And that, my advice is, you know, do your best to try to get your kids in there, but have a backup plan. We brought our kids uh, their devices, their their iPhones and, and whatnot, and also a Nintendo Switch. So that way, if all else failed, they could be in the room and not complain to us, you know, mommy, daddy, we're bored, which, of course, is the bane of every parent's existence that all they hear about. So while we try to limit our, our kids' screen time, you know, at home, we're on a cruise, we're having, they're on vacation just as much as we are, they want to have a good time, and I understand that my Kids don't, you know, understand the concept of, you know, why don't you just, you know, relax and enjoy being out there? They don't do that. So we wanted to balance that. And that was my way of kind of getting around that issue. Uh, on the cruise, we had a three-night dining package that we purchased. Uh, being a holiday cruise, they limit you on the holidays of which restaurants you can go to with the dining package. So we did three nights in the specialty restaurants and then the rest in the dining room. We ate at Izumi twice and we ate at uh, Jamie's Italian once. And they were both really, really great restaurants. I love them. No complaints about it. You've heard me talk about these restaurants before, but I really enjoyed both restaurants. But let's talk about, of course, the itinerary itself. Three ports of call, Cabo San Lucas, Mazatlan, and Puerto Vallarta. So Cabo San Lucas is actually a tender port, which asked me the last time I tendered anywhere. I, I certainly don't remember. It's been, a, it's been a hot minute since I was able to uh, tender to any particular port. But uh, it was actually pretty easy. And we booked a Royal Caribbean Shore excursion for this one, which is probably my best advice if you're going to a tender port is... Book your tours through Royal Caribbean. They give priority to the tenders uh, for folks who have a tour booked. So it's a lot easier to get on board. So that'd be number one. We booked a catamaran scenic tour of Cabo. 
And Cabo is really well known for its coastline. So the idea was to go on the coastlines, check out these things. Well, I was kind of disappointed even before it began because as the cruise ship sailed into Cabo, we got in at like noon or, you know, it was after lunchtime. As we sailed in, we sailed past all the points that we were going to see on the tour. And I told my wife, I was like, oh my God, we just, you know, spoiler alert. We just saw everything we were going to see uh, on the on the tour. But, you know, we saw them now. But, okay, whatever. You get on tender, which brings you into Cabo. And then you board your catamaran to go on your tour. Now, they call it a catamaran. In my opinion, a catamaran is a, a ocean-going vessel that has two... I don't know, pods or two things in there. In the middle, you've got this little like screen thing you can rest on. It's this like looks like a sailboat or resembles a sailboat, but it's got this, you know, anyway, this does not resemble a catamaran in my opinion. This was a tender boat, a large tender vessel, uh, more like a ferry boat, quite frankly. But anyway, we got on there and we had a seat up on the top deck uh, and it was actually a fantastic view because I wanted to be number one outdoors. There was the indoor seating, but I was like, you know, with Omicron, let's just be outside to begin with. Number two is about seeing scenic stuff. So we're going to be out there. We had beautiful weather. So we got a great spot up on the top part of the ship and then boat, whatever you want to call it. And then we uh, sailed out to sea. So as we made our way, first thing we did, we checked out some of the scenic areas. You've got Land's End, which is that iconic rock arch thing that they've got in Cabo. There's some seals over there. But what was really neat about this tour was we actually just lucked out because December is part of the migrating whale season where humpback whales come from Alaska down to Mexico to mate. And we got really lucky because I was like, well, I hope we're going to see some whales. But we saw a, a lot of whales, actually, three different occasions. And one of them, actually, it wasn't a breach. She, he or she came up and like did the thing where they kind of their tail goes up in the air. It's not like a, they, didn't, they didn't jump out of the water. They just, you know, came up for air and then their tail came out. Anyway, it was really cool. And we, one of them came by like right by the boat, right in front of us on the last one. We got some amazing photos. And it's my first time ever seeing a humpback whale in in the wild. I'm not sure I've even seen one in captivity. So that was really a lot of fun. And uh, the kids loved it. And there were free drinks on board, which I loved. And uh, some snacks. They did a nice job with it, you know. And I would love to go back to Cabo. Uh, again, because it seems like there's a lot to do there. We only scratched the surface in terms of what you can do in Cabo because, uh, again, there's a lot to do in these ports. And if you're on your first time, you, know, you really got to prioritize, okay, what do I really want to see? So I figured for this one, the catamaran was a really good step to try out first. In Mazatlan, by the way, the Mazatlan and, and Puerto Varado were just docking ports, so no issues there. In Mazatlan, we booked an ATV tour. Mazatlan was really tough because there were like four tours that kids could do, and three of them were you had to be like 16 or 18 years old now before this we our kids were unvaccinated but as they got vaccinated we were able to book something on our own and do something there anyway we uh, booked an atv tour through a third-party company this is our only third-party tour that we did because i wanted to do an atv tour and what roller was offering was not great but luckily because our kids were vaccinated we were able to do tours on our own so i found this website mazatlan tours they had good reviews and all that stuff so i was like all right let's do that that way we could do a, I think it was a two-hour private tour of via an ATV, a four-seater ATV. It was supposed to be, a, I believe, a Polaris something or other. And, uh, you know, pretty cool stuff. And it would take us through the desert and mountains. And All right, cool. So we go there, and uh, we meet the guide at the designated time. The guide is there, right on time. One other family. Great. We board a truck. Take us to the location uh, in downtown Mazatlan. You dock in old Mazatlan. And then it's about a 15 or 20 minute drive to where the ATVs are. It seems like Mazatlan Tours actually is like a, 
uh, one company, but the tour operator is somebody else, which is pretty standard in a lot of these cases. Anyway, we get dropped off, and uh, there's uh, ends up a bit of a wait here. This is when things are going to go degrade a little bit. We get there. there uh, there's one family with us on the truck. No problem at all. We get there, and there's one guy and his son, and they kind of seem like lost because clearly they're waiting for uh, somebody else to come and do stuff. And then while they're waiting, another couple families show up. So we're all there, and I don't see. I see one ATV outside, and I'm like, "Well, where's the rest of the ATVs?" I didn't know they were all in the back there. So we go there. We, it takes a long time. It should have been processed a lot faster, but eventually, we get our ATV, and they're giving the instructions. But clearly, they're giving instructions for a group tour. And I raise my hand to the guy who doesn't speak any English, and I say, "We have a private tour." Uh, and I had to Google quickly how to say private tour in in Spanish. And they, you know, so are you sure you booked private tour? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I booked it. And I showed them my receipt from Mazalon Tours. And they were like, okay, well, clearly there was a mis miscommunication here that they weren't aware there was a private tour. But no, no worries. They pulled the guy who I guess was going to stay in the office. And he hopped in an a, a spare ATV. And we were on our way. So we got our private tour. It just took a while for it to actually happen. Like, it should have been, I felt like, a lot faster processing. But... You know, it is what it is. Anyway, we get on the, we take the tour. We're, we're driving our ATVs. Basically, our tour guide is ahead of us and we're behind and we're driving an ATV. It's an automatic vehicle. Um, it, I, I don't know how fast we actually end up going, but, you know, I'm gonna say top speed was probably about 40, 50 miles an hour. So you drive through Mazatlan and then you go on these trails out in the boonies, which take you through woods and a desert area by cactuses. And you make three stops along the way. One stop is on top of a mountain. Their stop is at a horse ranch. And the last one is by the ocean. And the horse ranch was cool because the kids get to ride a horse. Uh, the the Going through the mountain was really interesting. You go on these like really steep paths that go through these densely wooded areas. It was really cool until the ATV broke down. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I'm driving it. And the ATV just... If you've ever driven a car where you run out of gas, that's what it basically felt like. We didn't run out of gas. So that wasn't the issue here. But all of a sudden, it just went, you know, there was no power. Like, I'm flooring it. I'm getting nothing. So we just basically drove until we ran out of, you know, inertia. And then we stopped. And, you know, our, our guide obviously knows we weren't behind him. So he came back around. And, you know, we're like, I don't know what happened. And he goes out there and he checks the back of it. Anyway, I don't know. He couldn't figure it out. He couldn't restart it either. So... I was like, oh, I no, no worries. I mean, we're, first of all, we're really close to a lot of things despite being out in the boonies. Anyway, he pulls out a cell phone, calls the somebody up, and what ends up happening is he, we took over his vehicle, and then somebody else came by and brought a Vespa scooter thing, and our guide rode that for the rest of the tour. So we had to switch vehicles. Not the end of the world. We still got our tour, and it was pretty cool. The kids loved the uh, the the horse farm, and the, the beach was cool. I think they got a little freaked out when the car broke down, but, you know. It, I was like, don't worry about it. I mean, I can see Mazatlan. I've got my phone. We're not in any danger here. And the tour guy was really good. So overall, the tour was fun. I probably, if I were to go back tomorrow, I would probably just take a taxi downtown because there were a number of ATV dealers over there that were renting out ATVs. And quite frankly, the other ATV dealers looked like they had newer vehicles and nicer vehicles there. So I might have just gone there. Anyway, I would have just done that instead. But I didn't have a problem with our tour. I just think that there were a lot of hiccups that could have been avoided. Uh, I'm not even talking about the breakdown. I'm talking about the stuff in the beginning. But it all is well that ended well. And we actually, after the tour, we just walked around downtown Mazatlan and picked up some uh, tacos, which was, oh, they were so good. So uh, I love that. And then in Puerto Vallarta, we booked a private journey, which is a private Royal Caribbean shore excursion where Royal Caribbean does all the work. You, you schedule everything. You tell them what you want to do. And we were like, we want to do like kind of a 
beach pool day kind of thing. So they got us a day pass to a place called Sabal Playa, S-A-B-A-L-P-L-A-Y-A, Sabal Playa. It's a kind of like almost like a paradise beach, but on in Puerto Vallarta. So it's a it's not a hotel. It's not a resort. It's just a beach resort you can go to. They had a pool. They had beach access. And of course, they had food and drink available for you. Um, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what I paid for it. Uh, or I don't know why I paid for it in the sense that we paid a lot of money for the tour. And we got a guide who brought us, spoke perfect English, great English, uh, you know, picked us up. Uh, drove us in a lug. They called it a luxury van. It's a nice car, and uh, we drove to the thing. But the admission and the drinks and food were the admission was included, but not the drinks and food. And the admission was like twenty bucks a head, and the tour cost way more than that. And when I got there, I asked them. I asked the people at the at the at the resort. I was like, "Oh, you know, we're, we booked this through Royal Caribbean. You know, is our food and drink included?" Figuring <laughs> the amount of money I paid for it, it's got to be, and it wasn't. And I was like, okay, well, this is on me because I didn't look at what I booked until like that morning. So, you know, it's, it's it was too late basically to to make it. I could have canceled it, but I was like, okay, well, whatever. This is just a learning experience. So, number one, make sure you read what you sign because I did not clearly in this situation, or I assumed too much. But the it was absolutely a fantastic spot. I mean, beautiful. They had this infinity pool that overlooked the ocean, and it was like a, a fifteen second walk to the beach. Um, which was absolutely beautiful. Um, I would love to go back here again. In fact, if we ever do a group cruise to part of Iarda, we're definitely going to have to like do a group excursion over here because it was really, really impressive. I like that quite a bit. Overall, I thought that the West Coast was really impressive. I loved the scenery. I mean, it's really cool when you're sit when you're. You know, we were in Puerto Vallarta and we're at the beach and you're surrounded by mountains. It's just so unlike what you find in Cozumel. And um, I, I really enjoyed the scenery of it. I can't speak for you know Ensenada or Catalina, but I can tell you that these three ports on the West Coast were absolutely stunning. Uh, I, I really enjoyed our time here. I got to say that the the one thing I probably the most jarring thing about a West Coast cruise is being on West Coast time. I I I don't maybe it's because I was trying to do you know realcreamblog.com stuff, but man, it was a struggle with the whole three hour time difference in terms of I it just felt like constantly. I was like behind the eight ball because if you wake up at 7 a.m., which is early for me anyway, that's 10 a.m. Eastern time. You're already like lost out on the morning news cycle. So I know that took a little bit of an adjustment to do that, but we got used to it eventually and we had a great time on there. And I would tell you that if you're looking for something different to do, this is a great itinerary, a really, really good one. And Navigator's priced extremely well right now for these West Coast cruises. So if you have an opportunity to go out there for a Mexican Riviera cruise, I would definitely recommend it. All right, friends, time to answer your Royal Caribbean emails. This is the part of the episode where I answer emails you've sent in about Royal Caribbean cruises, and we answer them right over here. If you want to send me your email, you can do so by sending it to matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Our first email is from Rob D. from Milton, Ontario, Canada. Hi, Matt. Just finished my four-night cruise on Freedom of the Seas and wanted to share my story quickly while I wait for my COVID test result. After listening to one of your recent podcasts where your guest remarked about asking his attendants if they needed anything on land like toothpaste, razors, deodorant, etc., I made sure to ask mine as well. My room attendant was so clearly touched by the offer, so much so that when I returned to my room later in the day, he had left me a voucher for lunch at Chopped. Certainly wasn't the reason I had offered it, but just goes to show you how much they really do appreciate it. it only takes a second to ask and make such an impact. Thanks for bringing this to my attention, and I'll be sure to do this every cruise. Rob, that's fantastic. I mean, like you said, it's not about like you know, you're offering as a as a way to get something back in return, but you know, 
what a, what a generous way to give back to you and you're giving back to the guy. I love that. Next email is from Casey from Baltimore. My family and I are going on Mariner of the Seas this spring, and I have a question about Izumi Hibachi. I thought I'd heard you mention in earlier podcasts, especially restaurants, had a $10 cover charge for kids. Does this apply to Izumi Hibachi? This will be our first time cruising on a ship that offers Hibachi, and I'd like to try it. My cruise planner lists kids' prices $29.99 and $35.99 for adults, so I don't know if this is worth it for my kids. You think I can get a cheaper price for my kids on board? Also, my kids will be fully vaccinated by them, so the fact that it's vaccinated-only venue is not a problem. And the answer is yes, Casey, that is my experience. If you buy a dining package, then you can get the $10 covered charge once on board for kids that are six to 12 years old. Um, and then children five and under are actually for free. So that would be the way you want to do it. It's definitely the way to go about it. Certainly if you don't do a dining package, then you could buy the, you know, the, the, the a la carte price, the price you see on the cruise planner and go from there. So hope that makes sense there. Next idea is, next idea, next email, maybe it's not an idea too, is from Jared from Boston, Massachusetts. Writes, hi Matt, I don't expect you to remember, but I introduced myself on Mariner of the Season, the Bamboo Room, back in August on the first selling back on Mariner. In any event, it was nice to have met you and put a live face to your podcast voice. My family and I are selling on Harmony of the Season in January of 2022. I expect this to be quite different than the Mariner given the capacity increases, but on a positive note, our three kids, all under 12, will be fully vaccinated. So I think this will be a different experience for us all. This will be our first cruise with diamond status. We typically purchase the drink package and have again purchased it for the ceiling. My question is regarding the four complimentary drinks per day. Is it four drinks per reservation or do my wife and I get each four drinks per day? We're trying to do the calculations to see if a drink package is ultimately worth it. And now the answer will likely push us one way or the other. Thanks to the great episodes, especially through the shutdown, though there wasn't really much to talk about. Uh, Jared, it was great meeting you as well. And you actually get four drinks per day per person. So it's all day long, Jared. And yes, you go to the bar and you, you'll you have four drinks on your CPAS card loaded in. Your wife will have four drinks. Actually, your kids get drinks as well. That's something else they changed. It's non-alcoholic, obviously, for your kids, but you know they want to get four sodas or a Shirley Temple. They could do that as well. It really is a compelling option when it comes to that drink package because you know for a lot of folks, I think they look at it and say, well, you know, do I get a drink package? Do I not? You know, it depends on how you drink and how much you do. I mean, for me, I still get the drink package, even though at Diamond Plus, I get five drinks a day. And that's because, you know, it sounds like a lot of drinks and it is a lot of drinks. Don't get me wrong. I'm not here to tell you that it's not. But I feel like the the, the reason why I still get it is because at, at the end of the day, you know, especially if you drink socially with friends, it's easy to to rack up the drinks. And also a lot of the, the pours are not the same kind of pours you might get at home. You know, at home, you, may, you pour yourself a drink. You're going to pour a lot of alcohol. It, on board the ship is a lot less so it's not quite as much if you will it doesn't do as much damage if you want to call it that way um when you order the drinks on there and then over the course of the day i mean i just find that it's easy to rack up the drinks in to break even on a drink package uh you know in terms of you know you get a drink in the you get a bloody mary in the morning you get your your coffee as well you have you know two drinks in the afternoon you have two or three drinks in the evening at dinner after dinner You've already broken even on it. So it really boils down, though, to how you drink. And I drink differently on vacation. At home, I barely drink. But on vacation, it's kind of a way to, you know, let loose a little bit. And I kind of enjoy that. So uh -huh. next email is from Liz, a.k.a. Baked Alaska. Hi, Matt. We're cruising on Oasis of the Sea, seven-night Western Caribbean cruise. Since we're fully vaccinated, I've made reservations for me, my husband, and our son at Nachi Cocoa Mall in Cozumel. What's an appropriate tip for the staff and how would we pay it since it's a prepaid all-inclusive day resort? Thanks for your time. We appreciate all that you do, especially during the blip. <laughs> Thanks, Liz. I would say, number one, you're paying cash. I mean, you're just gonna you're gonna hand your waiter cash. When you get to Nachi, you're gonna be assigned a waiter. When you they you after you check in, they're like, okay, here is your waiter, and this person is going to be who will take all your orders. 
So it's pretty easy. That's who you're going to give the, the tip to. You know, I usually tip them something. Um, it depends on a variety of scenarios. I mean, obviously how helpful they were for you, how much you order from them, how demanding, not demanding, but like how many, you know, are you calling them every five minutes or you call them once an hour? You know, um, I don't think when it comes to tipping in general, there aren't like right or wrong answers. I don't want you to feel like, you know, oh gosh, you're sliding somebody. I think a little bit of a tip is certainly worth it. Um, you know, it depends on how many people in your group. You've got three in there. You know, if you tip them, some people might tip, you know, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, $100. I mean, it really depends on how you perceive the service that you got from them, if that makes sense. But I think having a little bit of cash tip them at the end is probably a good idea. And our last email this week is from Adam. All right, time Matt. I was wondering if you could be of assistance. We're going on a waste of the seas on January 9th, leaving out of Miami. We've never sailed out of Miami before, and we're wondering if you have any advice on where to park our vehicle. Should we just park at the cruise terminal or elsewhere? Just looking for your recommendations and advice at the cruise port. Additionally, we're arriving the night before and wondering if you have any restaurant recommendations along the waterfront. Ooh, interesting idea. Okay, so number one, always park at the cruise terminal. I recommend it. In Miami, especially, Adam, uh, Miami's had the worst reputation, in my opinion, for uh, offsite parking, people breaking in and whatnot. So, but that doesn't even factor into my decision, Adam. I just park at the cruise terminal. It's easier. It's faster. It's You don't save that much money parking offsite. Relatively speaking, I would say park at the terminal. You'll thank me later, especially after the cruise is over and you can just hop in your car and drive home. That's when you'll thank me later. But um, in terms of where to eat along the the bay, bay front, bay, bay side, waterfront, there's an area, um, it, depending on where you're staying, if you're staying downtown, there's a great place called Bayside, which is right on the water, and it's actually, you could probably see the cruise ships from over there. There's some good restaurants there. That's a great place. Brickell is a great neighborhood for restaurants. Miami, like all cities, has some great neighborhoods and places you can go. I would say Brickell, Downtown, or South Beach. The three neighborhoods I would look at, you know, pull up a Yelp and start looking at restaurant recommendations over there. It's, you know, cuisines and whatnot. That's the kind of the area I would kind of lean towards, so. Thank you to Adam. Thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Again, if you want to send me your emails, you can do so by sending them to matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again real soon.